Come and knock on our door. We've got a pamphlet for you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a Jehovah's Witness joke? I'm definitely not answering that. See, that's why Three's Company doesn't work for today. Everyone ignores the door. Or just watches Unexpected Company through the ring camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they'll repost it to TikTok. Pretty much. The only thing worse, I think, is a phone call. It's true. If I want to book you as a guest on your own podcast, I have to text you. Or fax machine works. <laughs> that should have been one of your 2024 predictions. The resurgence of fax machines. Oh, I'm saving that for the future. Maybe 2025. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's true, though. Dolly Parton made news for saying she preferred communicating via fax because, quote, She's surrounded by enough people. Oh God, what a national treasure. She really gets it. Three people is about as much company as I can stand. <laughs> well, speaking of national treasures, are you ready to revisit some unexpected performances from the cast of Three's Company? Oh, I've got my Mrs. Roper caftan on. And I'm ready for some Joyce DeWitty banter. Oh Lord, let's begin. Did you know John Ritter's middle name was Southworth? Huh, I thought it was Butterworth. <laughs> the love child between Tex Ritter and Mrs. Butterworth. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Southworth, which was actually his mother's maiden name, Faye Southworth. Knowing that would have been very helpful last episode when we were trying to think of other Faye's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Faye Ray, we found one other Faye. <laughs> exactly. And there's actually a funny story about her, Faye Southworth Ritter. I mean, she was she was in a home for, for many years toward the end of her life. And there, uh, I guess somebody went into the, her room and she wasn't there. And they asked, where is Faye? And the staff member of their nursing home said, oh, she's gone. And that made the person think that she passed away. So this like staff member called a tabloid and was like, Faye Ritter, you know, John Ritter's mother has passed away. It like oh, went to the no. news and she wasn't dead. She was just out of her room. Like, who knows? She, they took her to like get a snack or something like that. <laughs> and luckily they found it very funny, which I think is a nice testament to the playfulness of the Ritters. Yeah, and, and you find humor wherever it is. Yes, 100%. Speaking of Southworth, I mean, you know, one of my favorite Hitchcock movies is South by Southworth. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that bad pun, welcome to the Pop Trash Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it, but with love, of course. And love, well, take a dance on our floor, take a step that is new. We've a lovable space that needs your face. Three's company, too. But actually, this is a podcast, so we just need your ears. Except for when we get to talking about Suzanne Summers, then maybe we need your thighs too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she made a billion dollars on Thigh Masters. Oh, I got to tell you, why don't we jump right into it? I looked up. Can we take a minute to talk about the Thigh Master? Why not? The workout that allows you to relax while watching TV and firm up your hip line anytime, anywhere. <laughs> well, that explains why my thighs look like they do. <laughs> Remember the ads? They said you could squeeze, squeeze your way into shapely hips and thighs <laughs> but which shape i think i'm doing yeah. it wrong <laughs> mine are rhombus 
exactly. <laughs> well, in light of this, I went to the Google and I, I wanted to see some top questions people entered into Google search about the thigh master. Do you think you know the answers? Uh, I, I, I definitely don't. Although I'm, I'm going to guess one of them is, uh, can you use it on other parts of your body? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the questions, but not the top three. Here, here, I'll just give you three. Okay. How much money did Suzanne Summers make from the Thigh Master? How much do you think? Oh well, I'll guess. I said a billion dollars. That's probably crazy. Let's say, let's say half a billion dollars. Pretty close. She earned an estimated three hundred million dollars. That is wild. This was the OG Stanley Cup, <laughs> a product so sticky that it went viral before social media. Did you have a thigh master in your house, or did your mom or anybody? No, we had a George Foreman grill. <laughs> oh, well, close. That's close. <laughs> but not a thigh master that I can remember. Okay, two more top questions from Google that people actually want to know and entered in their search. How long should you use your thigh master? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I would guess what, 30 minutes? Oh, a little less. If you use it for 15 to 20 minutes a day, you'll feel the effects of the training of your adductor muscles. <laughs> okay, last question people want to know. Does the thigh master actually work? Oh, well... I think it has to. If it made her $300 million, then clearly something worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is, according to an article from the LA Times in 2009, it said, quote, you'll build muscle, but it's not going to be functional in any way. <laughs> a sidestep or squat would work those inner thigh muscles much more effectively. <laughs> yeah, but that you can't do a sidestep while you're watching Unsolved Mysteries. It was perfect. It was a perfect ad to run while people are watching their programs. You don't have to change your lifestyle and brand new thighs. <laughs> I'll finish with this. I love this. She told Entertainment Weekly, Suzanne Summers told Entertainment Weekly, maybe it's funny because our mothers always told us to keep our legs together. And this is a legitimate reason to move your legs back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this season we're exploring unexpected performances. And today we are looking at several unexpected performances from many of the cast members of Three's Company. We've got John Ritter in Hero at Large, Suzanne Summers in Nothing Personal. And Eric, I think you're taking Don Knotts, right? Yes. The Love God from 1969. Ooh. Uh, and we'll probably talk about other cast members as well as they come up. Uh, but first, do you want to jump into Hero at Large? I'm ready. I've got my tights on. I thought you had your Mrs. Roper caftan on. Well, I, ch I it was a quick change in the phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> in the podcast booth. It gets confusing, though, when you forget to take the caftan off, but you have to be the masked Avenger or whatever. Well, it's fine because John Ritter spent most of this movie either in tights or topless, I, I'd say. <laughs> so the quick change doesn't matter. <laughs> Mike, what is Hero at Large about? Well, picture it. 1979, New York City. <laughs> I know, gritty. But no, John Ritter plays a struggling actor. He goes in for a role that he has to dress up basically as a superhero. And while he's in costume, he goes into a bodega, a convenience store, and there's a robbery. And he stops it. 
And all of a sudden, he becomes the hero. Yes, Captain Avenger. Captain Avenger navigating this newfound world where he, where the entire New York City area thinks that he is a superhero, donning a cape, stopping robberies. It's a superhero movie that kind of falls before all of the Marvel and the DC universes that we have, even before 1989's Batman, which was, you know, huge. Superheroes were mostly TV fare other than Superman the movie that came before this in 78. So this Captain Avengers, just like a a totally made up character for this movie. This is a movie that's like, what would happen if someone would try to be a Cape Crusader in the real world? I mean, there have been other movies about that. And superhero movies just pretend to be about that, like grounded in the real world. But this one felt more real to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I went into it a little confused because I thought it took place in a Greek diner, but that's Euro at large. Oh, <laughs> joke never gets old. Does it? <laughs> Once a season, I'm going to bring that joke back. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with that. I, I think this also, I mean, so this this was made in 1979, but came out in February 1980, which is like peak John Ritter. Yeah. I mean, Three's Company had been on, what, three seasons then. It was like such in the cultural zeitgeist. He was enormous household name. He was at the top of his game. And so I think it was also kind of an interesting thing where you have this, everybody knows this actor for comedy. And this is certainly a comedy role, but it's also kind of a little aspirational. It's kind of a rom-com. There's a female lead played by Ann Archer, for all you Fatal Attraction fans or Seagram's Wine Cooler fans. Didn't she do a Seagram's Wine Cooler commercial? Oh, she does. Yeah, she's at the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, why doesn't anyone love me except for this wine cooler? Right. <laughs> but anyway, she plays sort of this, uh, I guess it's like director of TV commercials and, and, and other sort of entertainment things who rebuffs John Ritter's advances, I guess, but then gets pulled into the mystery of him being Captain Avenger and love ensues from there. But yeah, I, I, I think it's a super playful, super fun. Um, I mean, Roger Ebert, the critic called it a big, dumb, silly, good hearted albatross of a comedy, which to him is probably like not a compliment. Right. As movies moved into the eighties, it was that genre defying it's funny it's drama it's action there are chase scenes 80s movies weren't afraid to just be everything and uncategorizable right and i just i think it does that really well yeah so you know he stops this robbery and then all the city falls in love with him which it hits that narrative that like new york city in the late 70s and 80s was full of crime and you needed everyday superheroes to come in and stop it mm-hmm. um and they weave some of that politics in because there is a a mayor's race going on mm-hmm. and there's a conniving public a conniving is too strong a, a, a political strategist who knows what he's doing uh who sees john ritter's captain avenger and thinks oh we could use this to like get reelected as mayor. <laughs> and so there's also this like second plot basically exploiting this superhero to try and get a mayor elected. And what I love about it is that conniving or, you know, uh, ruthless political strategist is played by Burt Convy. I was going to say, you better not gloss over who that was because <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I, I just light up with a smile when I see Burt Convy. It's funny, I don't really think of him as an actor. I think of him as a game show host, right? Because he did Password, he did the syndicated version of Win, Lose, or Draw. Yeah. I'm sure he's done tons of other things. I'm guessing he showed, he's shown up in like Matlock and all sorts of other like TV shows, right? He was a Charlie's Angel villain 
in season four, the season four opener. He's in the Cannonball Run. Yeah, I know him as an actor because I'm a few years older than you. So like I, I knew him as the game show host guy, but that was like, oh, as he stopped acting as much he took on game shows what a career man i would love to take on game shows (laughs) oh my gosh right he also was a singer he had like some songs out i don't know if they were big hits but were they please tell me they didn't turn him into like a disco artist like martin mall or vicky lawrence Uh, no he you know he was that kind of heartthrob balladeer i think more Uh, okay you know because he is very good looking for the time he's like the quintessential man's man (laughs) for the time (laughs) for the time today he'd be ugly but for the time (laughs) no i mean (laughs) you're all assholes every one of you your lives don't work and you're assholes because you sit here and pretend they do (laughs) (laughs) did you clock the two other appearances by famous people in this. Yeah, Kevin Bacon, Kevin just Bacon is one shows of them. <laughs> up as he's signing autographs as as Captain Avenger on the street. So John Ritter is only one degree removed from Kevin Bacon. It's true. <laughs> he's like a real shit. Oh yeah, no, he's, he's antagonizing like... him as he's trying to sign autographs <laughs> for kids. Street rat Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, I mean, this is a very like she's playing herself in it. Doctor Joyce Brothers. She just showed up everywhere in everything. How did she become like the 80s TV doctor? I went to see because I was like, I thought the same thing. I'm like, why is she in everything? Yeah. She did 93 cameos in TV and film. 93. That is wild to me. There's never been a culture that wasn't a dead end culture. One other thing I will say is it does fit in that time frame of comic book heroes having this charm and altruism that's really vanished from modern interpretation of superheroes right he wants to don the costume and do the right thing and he's a really good guy at heart that runs through it kind of like the superman 78 um that went away now superheroes are broody they have complex like are they good and bad like you don't see this type of superhero anymore at all Ugh. Do you think we're just one pop culture news cycle away from this type of hero coming back? Oh, gosh, I would hope so. Watching it again, it was it was really refreshing, I think, to to like the fun of superheroes again to see that on the screen. Yeah, I could see that. Last thing I just wanted to touch base on is do you think people like this? Do you think it did well at the box office? I'm going to say no. So it came out in, in early February 1980. And for that month, it was the second highest box office film. Oh, great. Just behind... American Gigolo. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) A different type of superhero. All right, well, we're sticking with the 1980 film season. Uh, just a month later, Suzanne Summers had one of her first big movies. It was called Nothing Personal. Eric. Do you want to tell us what Nothing Personal was about? Well, Mike, nothing personal, but I do not want to summarize this. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't even begin to tell you what it's about. <laughs> well, basically, Suzanne Summers, in a sort of like a role that you wouldn't expect her to play necessarily, is an environmental lawyer and a professor at a college played by Donald Sutherland uh, and his big old mustache, hire Suzanne Summers to help stop the construction of, um, I, I, guess, I guess it's like some piece of real estate. It's like a military base or something. Something big that would basically displace a bunch of seals. Yeah. It's Suzanne Summers, uh, Donald Sutherland against the Goliaths of corporate and 
powerful interests. Uh, or it could just be what the tagline of the movie poster is. Donald Sutherland and Suzanne Summers break the law in 37 states, Puerto Rico, and the Pamela can and the Panama Canal zone. <laughs> well, we're very close to seeing her Panama Canal. <laughs> Talk about a thigh master. <laughs> this movie is just so incredibly horny. I just it switched from the first, you know, 20 minutes of exactly what you said of like people are clubbing baby seals and we want to be like a social commentary movie and even in the beginning, Suzanne Summer, when she first appears, she was confident and it was a nice unexpected surprise. But then all of a sudden, she's less concerned with winning the case. And the top priority is like sleeping with and seducing Donald Sutherland. It was so weird. But he's into it. He wants it too. Oh, yeah. But it's just like, <laughs> what movie am I watching? And this goes exactly against what I said uh, with the John Ritter movie that I love 80s movies that are everything, a bit of drama and comedy and action. This had all those things, but it was so disjointed for me. I didn't understand why it was all jumbled up like that which is kind of weird because you did have like a fairly heavy hitter cast yeah right? so you have suzanne summers who was just coming i think this was right as she was leaving three's company um but very huge name donald sutherland who just you know same year as this started in ordinary people which was a giant like blockbuster hit and like best mm -hmm. picture winner and all that you have dabney coleman who is huge right oh yeah uh, and so it's like it's just kind of interesting to me that this didn't work but i did see that suzanne summers in her autobiography talked about this movie and basically was like oh it was such a mess filming the director who was george bloomfield and she basically was like he was in over his head and it got so bad that donald sutherland essentially like stepped in to direct the movie um uncredited of course but basically to get it over the finish line and you can kind of see some of that disjointment that chaos play out because it's 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 there are moments that are funny i will say the scenery it also is a wonderful like deep dive into the 1980s like the train stations the pay phones the cars like even the courtrooms all look like 1980 i was ready for it because that kind of look of the 80s cinema and that feel i was settling into the movie thinking like oh i kind of miss this feeling of 80s movies i don't know how to describe it but it is like it's it's just not very cohesive like you're here you're there you're here you're there you're getting a raunchy joke from donald sutherland here right and then you're getting like a corporate lesson in you know property law here um and so it's just a bit like jangled and and jumbled up it is so jarring the way it starts with over the credits baby seals and then they're being clubbed <laughs> it's just what is this movie please Stop showing the scene of the baby seal getting clubbed, which then made me go to Google and type in, talk about Google searches. Why do people club baby seals? <laughs> what was the answer? Well, it was not great. <laughs> and I don't want to step on anyone's cultural toes. But speaking of this is Canadian and a Canadian movie, it kind of makes sense that this is like the topic they're talking about, like for years and years. Um seal hunting has been on the decline because of animal rights groups and activists but there are some i will just say crazy laws 
about hunting seals. Knowing that made me not like this movie even more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just weird to build a comedy, like this sex comedy around this topic is, I guess, what I'm thinking. Yes, you are right. But the opening credits are just like cuddly, beautiful seals. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which is so strange, right? It didn't even matter what this did at the box office because there's not there's really no numbers for it. The reason is is because it was made in Canada. Basically, it was one giant tax write off for Canadian law. Right. <laughs> so it was just burning money. <laughs> Nonetheless, I think it is still fun watching Suzanne Summers and Donald Sutherland. Like they have a chemistry that I think does come across on screen. Yeah, this could have been a better movie if it just wasn't so abrupt all the time. Yeah, for sure. Because it made me think like, oh, like Suzanne Summers, she actually probably could have anchored more movies if if the opportunities had been there um, because she's captivating on screen. You know, thigh master jokes aside, what she was going through on three's company pushing her out like i think it's very much in hindsight we recognize she like farrah fawcett on charlie's angels was fighting for equal pay in many ways yes there were difficulties on set there were uh, you know producer problems but looking back at the thigh master and her career she is a very savvy businesswoman and she knew what she wanted and she had the talent to back it up when you look at it you know is she the greatest living actress of all time probably not but she's good and she has comic timing she would not have been on three's company for the years that she was if she wasn't up to that caliber i think people forget that no i agree with that because she passed away not too long ago. And in some of the memorialization of her, it was basically like what a move that she did, you know, to basically stand up for equal pay um, Mm -hmm. on the set of three's company. And and it really, it cost her her job. But yeah, what's wild is she talk about taking lemons and turning them into lemonade or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well then she goes on and founds a thigh master company for 300 million. She stars in step by step a decade later that lasts for, I don't know. I felt like that was on my entire teenage years. Very popular. You know, she really built a, an industry. Yeah. John Ritter also had an explosive career and Don Knotts has an explosive career too. But like in some ways, I think you could argue that Suzanne Summers like became the most successful thing to come out of Three's Company. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far, but she's the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing personal, but I think we should just end this segment. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the third movie, but tragically, I wasn't able to watch it because you can't find this on streaming anywhere to rent, to buy, to steal your parents' direct TV account and watch <laughs> or anything. You cannot find this thing online. It is 1969's The Love God. But thankfully, Eric has a robust DVD collection. (laughs) (laughs) Things are looking up for this year's predictions. I might score a win. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is included on a five movie collection released by Shout Factory, which has other Don Knotts movies like The Shakiest Gun in the West and um, How to Frame a Fig. How to Frame a what? How to to Frame a Fig. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So Don Knotts was uh, given a 
five picture deal with Universal. And this was the fourth movie in that series of movies that he made for Universal, which were very successful. So that picture deal, like were most of these movies after the Andy Griffith show? Yes, they were. I think the first one was The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. And that was a wild success. People love that movie. It's a charming movie, but it it continued the lovable Don Knotts that was family-friendly fair, you know, that everybody thought he was hilarious. It's lighthearted comedies. He's, you know, very much like a physical comedian like John Ritter, spit takes with his bug eyes. He's adorable. Everybody loves him. But this fourth movie that we're going to talk about, The Love God, is something different. And the weird thing is that Don Knotts somehow plays perfectly to type that I just described, and at the very same time, completely against type. Because the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Don Knotts is adult magazines, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll make sense. Here, I'll tell you the plot. The plot involves Knotts as Abner Audubon Peacock, a well-respected everyman from the small town who swindled out of running his low-selling bird-watching magazine called <laughs> The Peacock. So this publisher with loose ties to organized crime finds himself in desperate need of a postal permit to continue mailing his girly mags. So Knotts makes kind of like the perfect mark, and they fool him into becoming this like Hugh Hefner type of character as like the figurehead of these porn magazines <laughs> so that they continue mailing them in the mail. So like, it's hilarious. It's a must watch. (laughs) If you can find it. (laughs) If you can find it. It perfectly skewers like the 60s counterculture and changing morals. It finds laughs, making fun of traditionalists. It pokes fun at First Amendment debates. It makes fun of obscenity laws, uh, the Hugh Hefner persona. It depicts Anne Francis, who's his co-star, as an independent career woman. But it also allows her to be really devious. And like everybody's a target here, even bird watchers, as I mentioned, <laughs> it's delicious. It's laugh out loud funny. I, I I can't recommend it more. What's it rated? Do you know? Oh, yeah. So this is very interesting. So, you know, all his movies are G rated fair. This was the first one that was at the time the rating system was M for mature. And he even said like it wasn't as popular because a lot of theaters weren't showing it. They they wanted Don Knotts to be very family friendly. And this was not a movie to bring the kids to because it is fully a sex farce. I mean, it is got sex on the brain, but it's funny for the time. And you're like, what am I watching? How is this made? But the amazing thing as time went on and the rating system changed, This is, you know, it's fairly tame. It's not an M, it's not an R-rated movie. So it was changed to PG when the rental market came along. But in the mid-80s, we had PG-13. So its rating changed again to PG-13 because this is all about sex, you know, and and funny sex situations. So it's not really PG anymore once PG-13 came in. So I find that fascinating how, like, people's perception of, what morality should or shouldn't be, what is a family film, what's funny, what's not, what's okay to make fun of. It's that that to me is fascinating. Oh, interesting. Well, you've kind of convinced me to want to watch this if I can find it. I do have a question though. Do you think if since Don Knotts was so much more known as like family friendly fair Like, does it look like he's having a good time on screen? Oh, absolutely. It's really fun. 
the film was panned because it's kind of not the Don Knotts that people wanted. Famed critic Judith Christ, when it premiered on television, said that it's, quote, smutty pseudo satire on pornography, civil liberties and bird watching <laughs> would, would be rated as sub Z by anyone with the knowledge of the alphabet, let alone an iota of taste, <laughs> which is kind of rich when she wrote a book called The Cowboy and the Very Naked Girl. <laughs> but anyway, so if you can find a copy, definitely recommend it. it it's a it's a hoot. <laughs> Come for the bird watching, stay for the pornography magazine. <laughs> well, of course, the reason that we've included Don Knotts is he is one of the landlords on Three's Company in later seasons. The earlier landlords, of course, were the Ropers, played by Audra Lindley and Norman Fell, who were replaced by Don Knotts. So, Mike, were you more of a Ropers fan or a Mr. Furley fan? Well, what's funny, as a kid, like, watching Three's Company, I didn't really notice the difference. I mean, uh -huh. you know, I was watching Three's Company mostly on reruns because I was too young um, for it. Probably chopped up for syndication, and sometimes you'd see a Roper episode, sometimes you'd see Mr. Furley. It was probably not aired in order. Yeah, so it's like, for me, it was like, I just was like, oh, that, you know, they were just, they, one of them wasn't there that episode. Yeah. So I don't know if I have to pick one or the other. I will say I do love the Mrs. Roper energy, which you don't yeah. get when Don Knotts <laughs> is there, obviously. That's true. Um, yeah. And I kind of, you'll know this better than than I will. Like, I do have a soft spot because I feel like the Ropers, the, the two characters, Norman Fell and Audra Lindley, so they became sort of like so successful as sidekicks, they got their own spinoff called The Ropers. But it didn't do well, right? Right. Well, they were kind of done dirty by the network because one actor landlord is cheaper than employing two. And so they offered them the spinoff. And I'm sure the network also wanted it to be successful, but they didn't really work hard to make it successful. Norman Fell, this is of record, he knew he had a good thing going. And he was the type of actor that's like, why would you leave a hit show for something uncertain? He did not want to leave Three's Company. He had to be convinced. And the network convinced him by saying, okay, we'll put it in your contract that we will not cancel it before a year. But if it gets canceled before a year, you can go back to Three's Company. Well, lo and behold, the Ropers gets two seasons and they waited until just after the year had contract had expired and and they were not required to put them back on three's company it stayed mr furley as the landlord so they were out of a job but you know showing what a pro that uh lindley and fell were they came back for an episode after their show failed and there is one three's company episode where mr furley and the ropers appear and kind of like at least a nice goodbye to the ropers Oh, well, that's good. See, that's that's what I hate, though, is like studio executives being conniving Burt Convies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that makes me side with the Ropers anyway. But I mean, it's hard not to like Don Knotts. Don Knotts could star in anything and he'd be funny and joyful. I will say also, in terms of like legacy, Mrs. Roper 
is massively huge now. Yeah, I love that. So much so that there are like annual traditions now of like Night of a Thousand Mrs. Ropers and Mrs. Roper parades. <laughs> and a run. There's like a Mrs. Roper run yes. where everybody puts a wig on and caftans, right? What a testament to the longevity of that character. Like that's insane. And that makes me think like, oh, like what a what a special moment that like what is essentially a supporting player, um, you know, in Three's Company ends up becoming this like hilarious camp figure throughout history. Yeah, I mean, I love that because Three's Company was solidly a 70s show. And by all rights and purposes, I mean, generations further from that start to forget it. To have something like the Mrs. Roper run and these characters, people have now these other tethers to like have a touchstone to this really funny comedy from the time. Well, and it's also just still like it's a funny snapshot in time where it's like in some ways I think that Three's Company is ahead of its time and then also kind of no, it's it's decidedly in the 70s. Most folks who listen to this probably know the premise of Three's Company, but it's essentially like they have to make John Ritter's character, Jack, like pretend to be gay in order for him to live with the two roommates. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so like the fact that that's even like the crux of the the story I feel like is a little ahead of its time because like we, we, you know, other than what soap and a couple other TV shows, like gay characters or gay themes just didn't like pop off. And the fact that like, this is the anchor for this entire series, obviously they don't really stick with it. Everybody's kind of in on the joke that, that John Ritter's character, Jack is not gay and very, very straight and horny. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know what to do with that. Part of me is like, Oh, that's interesting. And maybe like ahead of its time, or maybe it's, regressive and not i don't know yeah so it, it's definitely right the push and pull of looking at it through the lens of today versus when it was made then well that takes us to just one last cast member who we haven't really talked about <laughs> who would that be mike <laughs> uh it is joanna kearns who had an episode oh. <laughs> It's true. Joanna Kearns You're does the that. worst. <laughs> she plays a, a girlfriend, one of Jack's girlfriends. I love it. But no, we're obviously talking about Joyce DeWitt, Janet. Uh, you'll know this. I Off the top of my head, I can't remember. What was Janet's last name? Damn it, Janet. <laughs> Slipped my mind. Uh, it's Janet... Oh, you're going to say it and I'm going to be so mad at myself. Oh, I'm going to definitely say it. I'm going to make a joke how it's so appropriate given the number of horny movies we've talked about. It's Janet Wood. Oh, Janet Wood, <laughs> yes. Uh, um, well, we didn't really talk much about Joyce DeWitt in part because this entire season of the Pop Trash podcast has been unexpected performances. And Joyce DeWitt's career is kind of interesting because outside of Three's Company, there's not a lot that she actually did in part because she took a big, huge break from acting after Three's Company. And so aside from some commercials and a TV movie here or there, but generally speaking, she wasn't really that much of a working actor to be able to talk about an unexpected performance, even though Janet was always my favorite character. Was she? How come? I don't know. Something about her energy. The I think she had the sort of the sarcasm she could put Jack in his place. Um, I don't know. She felt like the boss of that show in some ways to me. You need someone strong who many times plays the straight man, straight woman against everything that's going crazy around them. That's not to say that like she doesn't have funny, zany comedy moments, but she was great at 
like doing both, which I think like that type of skill puts you very under the radar, right? You know, the John Ritter's pratfalls are much splashier, but she can jump right into the like insane situations that are happening or be the person that reacts off of that. She even said, I think that Don Knotts, when he joined the show, he was such a pro at doing that type of comedy that she was happy to be that straight person role that they bounced off of because you need that. That can't be funny without somebody else observing or being there. Totally, totally. But I feel like we should try and talk about something unexpected about Joyce DeWitt. <laughs> Would it be her legs ads? Well, so I knew you were <laughs> going to say this. She does have great legs in those ads. Late 70s, early 80s, Joyce DeWitt is like all over TV commercials and magazine ads as essentially the spokesperson for the eggs, the pantyhose, right? The <laughs> pantyhose that had the eggs that like everybody remembers. Me, Joyce DeWitt, wear panty and pantyhose in one. Not who left their undie legs, the one with the stay put panty. Undie legs. Oh, I miss those eggs. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were the eggs. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, everybody played with those. Your mom had tons of like unused eggs or, or <laughs> pantyhose-less eggs. <laughs> pantyhose to me are such a weird relic. I'm sure people still wear pantyhose. Yeah, but yeah, they do. I don't think they wear them as much as they did no, in the 70s no, and 80s. it's not what it was. It was like everybody had a pair I mean, I know I kept like my action figures in them and you like, kept your you action know. figures in pantyhose eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they clipped together. They were great. You know, you'd roll them down the hallway and scare the cat. <laughs> but I love those commercials. She she looks great in them. She really does look great in them. And she's got great legs. She can dance. She has a theater background. So she like there's there's legs commercials where she's dancing. I think someone actually went down this like YouTube rabbit hole with Joyce DeWitt. And somebody makes the case that like she got that legs spokesperson deal because on the set of Three's Company, she wouldn't show her legs except for in pantyhose. Huh. I don't know if that's true. Um, but I did want to ask you. So you obviously know her for the, the legs commercial. Commercial, but there is another commercial uh, or another product she did commercials for in the 70s, 80s. It is decidedly a very 70s and 80s product. Um, I don't even know if they make it anymore. They might. Can you take a wild guess as to what it might be? Wesson Oil? I mean, that was big. No, Wesson Oil was definitely Florence Henderson's like terrain. Can you imagine someone encroaching on Florence Henderson's Wesson Wessonality? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't have a great pair of legs if you're always frying chicken anyway. So. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> Why are they so shiny? Wessonality. <laughs> no, she did a commercial. Uh, I'll say the product, and I'm guessing you can say the tagline. Are you ready? Yeah. She did a commercial for Secret. Janice! Over here! I forgot my antiperspirant. What? Secret roll-on. Secret? Why can't you use my spray? Because nothing beats Secret roll-on for stopping wetness. Not even your He-Man spray. Secret strong? Mm-hmm. It really helps keep me dry. Well, if it's that strong, we'll both use it. Oh, no! Secret's for women. It smells pretty. See? Hmm. Pretty? Mm-hmm. Well, as long as it's strong. <laughs> Sorry, darling. Secret roll-on. Strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have one last thing, since we didn't really dig into a movie here. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a true or false little quiz around Joyce DeWitt. Are you ready? Oh, I always do so well on these quizzes. Let's go. Okay, I promise it's not a long quiz. Only three questions. Question one. True or false? Joyce DeWitt auditioned for the role of Fonzie's girlfriend on Happy Days. Oh, I'm going to go with true. That is true. She did not get the part, but several weeks later, 
she got the part of Janet in Three's Company. Oh, so can you imagine that's great. had yeah. she gotten, I mean, talk about like the universe throwing you good things. <laughs> All right. True or false. Before she started her acting career, she worked at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm going to say false on that. That is true. What? <laughs> what did she do? She, she, <laughs> she was the one who went, start your engine. No, she didn't. <laughs> Change tires during the pit stop. No, she, um, so she kind of grew up in Indianapolis, but yeah, she graduated from Speedway Senior High School and once worked at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's ticket office. So, you know, as a, as a teenager, can you imagine like all these people going to the Indianapolis 500 and there's Janet from Three's Company <laughs> taking your ticket? <laughs> I love that. Well, everyone has a pass. <laughs> all right, last question. Years after Three's Company, she was in a production of the show Love Letters starring with Ryan O'Neill. True or false? I mean, these all have to be true. I'm going to go true. No, that is oh. false. But <laughs> she did do a production of the show Love Letters. She just didn't star in it with Ryan O'Neill. Oh. She starred with Tab Hunter. Oh, I love Tab. <laughs> I, I would star in a production of Love Letters to Tab. <laughs> yeah, to Tab Soda. <laughs> yes, to Tab Soda as well. <laughs> it was a 2012 production of Love Letters. Could you imagine... 2012 is not that long ago. 12 years ago. Can you imagine just being, you know, traveling wherever regional theater's happening and it's like Love Letters starring Joyce DeWitt and Tab Hunter? You would buy every ticket in that theater. Oh, I would. I would. It would be a sold out crowd just for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of another episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. If you want more of whatever this is, head over to poptrashmuseum.com. You'll also find us on that garbage heap we all call social media. Please like and follow the Pop Trash Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, give us a short review while you're there. Until next time, when instead of discussing hero at large, we all go to Subway and order a hero large. <laughs> Ooh, that cold cut <laughs> combo is going to take you 10 more minutes on the thigh master. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal, but I'm not doing that. <laughs>